0: Hello and welcome to our podcast we are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host Danny and with me as always is my co-host Nick. Hello. Thank you for joining us again today for another conversation about some of our favorite films. Please don't forget to follow us, follow us on Twitter at Keenatomic. We are also open for abuse, adulation, and everything in between at Keenatomic at gmail dot com. So today we are sort of what's the theme today again, Nick? I think this I is think what was... this is one of your babies. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was like dealing with like how people deal with grief or how people deal with like Trauma. traumatic experience yeah traumatic experiences um and it was basically it, it, i wouldn't say it was an excuse to get my film onto the podcast, it was but it <laughs> yeah, pretty much was um <laughs> but yeah we'll no, come I, to that uh, in, a, in a
0: moment i'm sure yeah
1: we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute um what if, if i mean in the in you know in the you know in the, in the few days since we last recorded i don't know if you've you've, you've been to the cinema from what i can gather
0: I have I have for the first time since before Christmas I've actually been back to the cinema twice two days in a row. I'm a free okay. woman
1: well how how what what did you see and how 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 did they go
0: um so I went on Wednesday to see a quiet place too, and because it was the first time being back at the cinema with an audience and everything and being that a quiet a quiet place is a sort of film that demands your absolute attention and sometimes you even forget to breathe because you're so like in the moment especially the i mean the first the first film was very much like that where i was stuck to my chair and i was afraid to move because i had to be quiet the second one was um quite similar and i it was still in the same vein i, I don't know if you've seen it
1: uh, not yet no
0: um i'm not going to spoil anything for you it was, it was the, it's, it's a, it's a very well-made film. Um, some hidden scenes here and there, a bit soapy at times, not as great as the first one. But the idea of, I think the euphoria of being back at the cinema made it all the better. So it made it like a really, really brilliant experience for me. So it's not as much the film, but the whole experience. So it, I think I'm a bit biased in, in having liked it as much as I did. Yeah. And last night I went to see The Father because, um, you know, I wanted to see something that was kind of released quite um, awarded at the Oscars. And I'm a big fan of Olivia Coleman's and um, Anthony Hopkins. And it was a brilliant film, very well made, very interesting ideas, um, incredibly well acted by everybody, everybody. Um, nice cameo from Mark Gatiss Um, yeah a very well written um, executed definitely recommend but it's very very dramatic and quite a downer my friend um, cried (laughs) so yeah I would definitely recommend it but it's very dramatic it's it's quite emotional
1: was Do you think that Anthony Hopkins, because you, you saw... He deserved um, it, he deserved it. I, I saw yeah,
0: Marraine Black's
1: bottom. That's, yeah, that was the question and, I was going to ask.
0: Yes, and I actually discussed it with my friend last night and I'm like, I know he should have... Uh, no, I think it was well deserved that, that Anthony Hopkins got the Oscar instead because he... I mean, I was just thinking about it because Anthony Hopkins is 83 years old and to be so lucid at 83 as to create a performance so multi-layered and so emotional of someone with with dementia without uh, with, with a you know mental condition oh my god it was mind-blowing brilliant brilliant performance deserves okay. all the accolades
1: okay okay no, no i was i was I was curious as to that question because it was something me and me and max were talking about on the podcast um I actually think we were talking about it on the on the lost episode, um, which hopefully is going to see the light of day. Um, yeah, we were talking about um, Oscar performances and stuff, and you know we weren't too sure how because we hadn't seen the father and 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 you know we couldn't really say whether it was you know, we couldn't really form an opinion on whether, you know, because that was the big controversy of the night. We'll say controversy, but that was the whole thing yes. about the night, wasn't it? It was yes. like the narrative was leaning towards giving, you know, Chadwick, Chadwick his Oscar and it didn't happen. And and that and the film just, the end, the event just kind of ended after that point. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It's,
0: it's difficult because I think had it not been for me having to leave and not talk about the Oscars, because we were, remember, we were, Thinking of doing an Oscar special episode, which yes, never we will, materialized. We will do
1: one one day. We will do one. We one will day. do
0: one one day, and I had like a full list of of, of wrongs that the Oscars did, um, which is you know a long list. Um, yeah, it,
1: it was it was going to make our Gone with the Wind episode seem like a, a short, fi- you know, a short in comparison.
0: <laughs> like a yeah, a, a moment.
1: Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, but. Because they've always done this sort of consolation prize thing or like lifetime achievement prize. So, for instance, Al Pacino got an Oscar for Best Actor for *Center of a Woman. And I'm not saying that performance wasn't great, but it wasn't his best. And his only Oscar is for that. Uh, although it feels like his only his Oscar was for all the work that he'd done up to that point so I think the, the the Oscars the academy could have said this, could, could have done the same thing for Chadwick Boseman given that he was dead and they could have been like okay we're going to give him a, an award because he's not going to be with he's not going to do anything ever again he's not going to yeah. win another one um, but in terms of deserve I do think Anthony Hopkins de- deserved it
1: okay okay could, I've yeah it's it is on my list of films to watch. Um, that is for certain. Um, it was based um, on a
0: play, a French play, um, Le Père, written by Florian Zeller, in twenty twelve, 2012. and he adapted it. He started. I think he started adapting it in twenty seventeen, and he wrote it, the adaptation, the film adaptation, with Anthony Hopkins in mind, and had Hopkins uh, declined. To, to play the role, it wouldn't have been made, and it's it's quite theatrical Ma Rainey black Bottom, funnily enough is also I think based on a play, and it's quite theatrical in that there's there's very static settings in a room and where people talk um and the father has that in common with Ma Rainey. um and it's it's a good it's a good way of having the the sort of giving the actors time uh, sort of their moment to shine. Uh, and space to sort of flex their muscles, so to speak. It's not an action film. It's something quite personal and and very like you know sometimes confining because it's just like it's like a play filmed. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 so multi layered. The father and it's just yeah you have to pay attention to all the details in, in all the rooms. Um, and I'm not going to give much away, but yeah, um, it was a very very good film.
1: Cool, cool, um yeah i mean i i yeah, I say so it's it's it is definitely something i'm I'm looking forward to watching um i I think from what I gather from talking you you just speaking just now and from everybody else, I have to kind of emotionally prepare myself for it, so um,
0: yeah, yeah I think you're gonna cry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, so is that is that is that everything? Um,
0: I think I think yeah. so. I was I was meaning I've been meaning to watch The Woman in the Window as I've mentioned, but I've never got around to it. Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of Amy Adams, and i yeah, I do want to watch it.
1: Not Emily Blunt,
0: not Emily Blunt, no. Um, Amy so... Adams, not Emily, Blunt. <laughs> and Amy, people, Adam, a-
1: Amy a- Adams, yeah, Amy Adams is the one that's in the Quiet Place films, right.
0: No, that's
1: Emily no. Blank. <laughs> um You're doing this yeah. deliberately, aren't you? I I I am doing it deliberately, yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah. Uh no, yeah, I mean so I I said I said last last episode that I was gonna hopefully get around to watching the mayor of East Town. That hasn't happened. Um and I was hoping to get to watch Spiral as well, and that hasn't happened either. Um, because I mean there are two things actually that have kind of been going on. Um, one, the one is, there's a certain football tournament going on at the moment. Um, so that's kind of, you know, football's coming home, kind of, that is predominantly where my focus is at the moment. And the other, um, I, cause I, I know, um, I spoke about, I spoke about, um, um, the Marvel TV series One Division, back when we were recording our first load of episodes before we had to take that unfortunate break, you know, I was talking about WandaVision and and you know how kind of, how kind of good it is. And at the moment, um, we've got the third of the Marvel Loki. TV series Loki going on. Yeah, uh, episode two as of recording, uh, we've we've just had episode two, and I, it's so far the best one yet. I mean, I mean, I was gonna just say like you know One Division as a series, I thought was. At the time, I thought that the kind of the ending kind of was really a bit disappointing. But when you take into account what the series was actually trying to tell us, and kind of how they had to do it because of obviously restrictions when when they were filming because of coronavirus, you know, I think they really yeah. kind of did accomplish what they could, and I thought they did a good job. I thought Catherine Hand was excellent. Um, I I she was just utterly, utterly brilliant. And there's a whole episode which pretty much does the nineties Malcolm the Minimal thing, and that was one of the my favourite episodes. Um then we got the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which was kind of like just a standard Marvel TV show. Um It was it was alright. I mean Wyatt Russell was pretty good. Uh we we you know, we saw Auntie Mackie finally become captain america with a new suit which i'm sure no doubt we're going to get in, in a new captain america film um but yeah it was just pretty much you know the standard marvel thing so when it came to you know loki and the trailers and stuff i i specifically stayed away from all trailers i saw clips and pieces here and there because you know disney has this kind of thing to do with sizzle reels you know like teasing things in clips and in and, and, and main adverts so basically I saw like bits and pieces and all I knew about the series that it was Owen Wilson was going to be in it and obviously it was going to be sent around Loki and there was something to do with time travel. That's kind of literally all I knew. Um, what's really kind of taken me aback by the series so far, the last, the first two episodes, is kind of how bold and weird it's gotten quite quickly. Um, Tom Hildelston is killing it. Um, i have I can't think of a better actor suited for that part than tom hiddleston he is he's been playing the character for, for for 10 years and it shows um he he knows that character inside and out and he is low-key um owen wilson i mean does his Owen wilson thing where he's very very low-key but there's he has he's very very charming when he you know when he really tries and i can it's i make really a confession go for it
0: I don't like Owen Wilson except in Wes Anderson films.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Like, that's my. Point it just of he belongs well. in
0: that universe and nothing else. I don't yeah. know why. I just, I. I mean, Midnight in Paris. I didn't enjoy it as much as I could have enjoyed because he was boring. Sorry, everyone else is great, even Tom Hiddleston playing Hemingway.
1: S. Scott Fitzgerald, I think. No, was it? Uh, Midnight if you're talking about the Woody Arrow. Yeah, film, yeah, I think Midnight, it was Midnight yeah, Midnight yeah Paris, it was Scott Fitzgerald, sorry. Midnight in Paris, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it was yeah, he was F Scott Fitzgerald, yeah.
0: Yeah, he was, he was. Um I mean I loved Midnight in Paris, but I just don't like Orrin Wilson that much, sorry.
1: No I I know I I agree with you I I think I think he's he's best when he's doing his Wes Anderson thing and that is Wes Anderson knows how to utilize how to get the best out of him in terms yeah, of like that low key performance and relying on Owen Wilson being Owen Wilson and, and just kind of letting him be natural and this TV series the Loki series, so does that um and I think it's the best use of Owen Wilson so far outside of a Marvel outside of a hmm. Wes Anderson film um the, the the art direction is utterly phenomenal um the whole look of the organized the tva as it's known is is really incredible and i'm really looking forward to see how the the series kind of goes because this looks as though it's one that's um is allowed to kind of exist away from the main movies and can get as weird as possible without affecting what's going to go on so that's kind of the one that i'm looking forward to the most um. So yeah, we're, cool. yeah. Pretty much it. Like you know, it's just kind of that. I'm. You know, I'm obviously. I'm rewatching.
0: When's the uh, um thing start, ending? The whatever Euro Sport.
1: Oh, the football. Um. The so football. Eng- England are going to win the final on July 11th. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yes. <I> As <laughs> if. Um, yeah it's it's, it's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> I think no,
0: Denmark's yeah, going to
1: win. <laughs> I <laughs> know they're not. I just picked a um, name
0: <laughs> out of a hat. I have no idea what's what's going on.
1: I'm I'm re- recording this on on uh, on Friday 18th of June, and we've just had the Sweden Slovakia again. Was kind of half going through at the moment. My prediction is Italy. So look out for that in a couple of weeks' time, when I prove to be right. Um, so yeah, Italy, no. have always on...
0: had a really good team, haven't they?
1: Yeah, but I mean, I could talk about football when I yeah. Sorry, sure I did not. I do not you, want to open that. Yeah, door. Yeah, no, yeah, you, you really don't want to open that door. You really don't. It's bad enough when I start talking about Marvel. You want to add football on top of that? No,
0: yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking.
1: Anyway, yeah, so um, that's on the eleventh of June, eleventh uh, of July. So um, in the meantime, you know, uh, there's uh, Black Widow's coming out, and we got you know Fast and Furious Nine. Um,
0: I saw the trailer last night, and I was not impressed. And I was I saw the trailer for Black Widow, and I do want to see it and i do I, I want to see it mostly because i want to understand how rachel weiss can be natasha's mother <laughs> i want to know i want to understand why how is that possible um and of course it's like you know if you've got florence Pugh and you've got um call it johansson and and rachel weiss so what can go wrong
1: I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing Florence Pugh in, in a Marvel movie. So, yeah, um. should we, should we, should we go on to our thing? I mean, we're going to be talking about comics in a bit, in a minute, comic movies in a minute yes, anyway. We so, are. so should um, we, should we go on to, should we take yes. a break from that for the moment and talk about the first film for the day?
0: Let's do that. Um, so this is the first, like I think you mentioned last time. The very first Alfred Hitchcock film on our podcast
1: yes it is,
0: and I have to a disclaimer, I have to say that this wouldn't have been my first choice for a first Hitchcock film, but I think it's one of the few films that you have not had not seen, correct
1: I mean I've seen the major ones, put it that way
0: yeah um but you have you haven't seen Rebecca.
1: I haven't, no. So,
0: no, yeah. so we have to have that on the That will the happen, yeah,
1: yeah. That, that, that is will on the happen. list.
0: Good. And so this is A Spellbound from 1945, a film noir mystery. And here is a quick synopsis. A psychiatrist protects the identity of an amnesia patient accused of murder while attempting to recover his memory. So when, what did you think of, of Spellbound?
1: I mean... Okay, so a quick question. What would, apart from Rebecca, what would have been, like, a Hitchcock film you would have wanted to, to kind of talk about um, out of curiosity? Ooh,
0: well, Vertigo, of course. Rope.
1: Yeah, Rope. Um,
0: mm, rear Window.
1: Yeah.
0: um, Which you've seen.
1: Yeah, just ignore ignore the fact that about you know ones that I've seen. Just like I uh, w what, what I can but, assume yeah. is like there are Hitchcock films that you would want to discuss before we get to Spellbound.
0: Yeah, so I would have I would have chosen like my, my favorite one is Rebecca. Yeah, uh, I can watch it over and over again. Um, but there's so many there's so many good ones. A friend of mine was I was talking to to, to her about him and she was like i don't like him i think he's boring and sexist um but it's it's in this day and it is quite easy to d- dismiss hitchcock but if you're not a, a film geek but if you understand what he's done for cinema it's very hard to sort of dismiss him yeah d- do you know what i mean
1: yeah
0: um, there's so many great films that he's made and yeah rear window is t- there up there with the best uh, Rebecca um Vertigo I think Vertigo in 2012 um Sight and Sound was d- dethroned Citizen Kane as the best film of all time
1: yeah there was a is. poll
0: there was a critic poll I think and yeah so it was the first time
1: yeah
0: since forever that Citizen Kane wasn't at the top of the list and it was Vertigo um and there's a reason for that and you know hit i mean we can talk about hitchcock forever as film geeks that we are um because he he was a genius he he might have been a bit of a psychopath on the side uh but i think that came with the territory if we know our directors we know that some of them are were not very nice people
1: no no <laughs> um, well, yeah, so the, the, the only reason why i ask is because like Watching this now that I've now seen nine Hitchcock films, um, and of the ones I've seen, this for me, Spellbound is better than Marnie, but not as good as Notorious. Um, yes. So I've had this. I've had this being told to me that this is a really good Hitchcock film, um, and I just thought it was pretty good. I mean, it's the it for me. I was I finished the watching the film, and I thought Larry David, encirping enthusiasm, going. Pretty, pretty good. You know, like it was, it was that, and you know, I, yeah, I spoke about I it. I totally last, agree. I spoke about I it. I think last you week. coerced
0: me into picking something with trauma related because you wanted to talk about our our next film. So this was the thing that I thought of first time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I uh, yeah, I mean, we will. Like I said, I think you know, we, we. We're gonna be, we're doing Hitchcock a bit of disservice this week, but definitely in the future because we we have got Rebecca kind of in the plans. Um, you know that will be the point to talk about Hitchcock. We're gonna make that one Absolutely. like Hitchcock centric episode. We,
0: we might have to do a Hitchcock special.
1: You know, pretty much <laughs> like how we did on our first ever episode where we, you know, we almost did Buster Keaton a disservice. Um, so we had to do three episodes about him because that was kind of how important he is for Danny and how important I learned he was. So I think, you know, we, we we have to do the same with Hitchcock. Um,
0: with a small I spoke caveat about- that Buster Keaton was a lovely person in real life and yes, Hitchcock he was. was a bit of a psychopath. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, the, I mean, I spoke about it last week. Um, Shadow of a Doubt is perhaps my favourite Hitchcock film. It's like the one yeah. that I saw. I think it's the second... I think it was the second one I ever saw. Because I saw Vertigo first and then I saw Shadow of a Doubt. Um... And the reason I saw Shadow of a Doubt was because it was cited in many, many interviews with Park Chan-wook as the main inspiration for his film Stoker, which is a, an astonishing film that nobody talks about. Um, I, and the I, one
0: with uh, Matthew Good.
1: Yeah, Mia Wasikowska and Nicole
0: Kidman. Uh, Mia Wasikowska, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. I thought that was really good. Yeah, really it's good excellent. film
1: excellent yeah it, it's a beautiful beautiful film and and nobody talks about it and it owes a lot yeah I to think shadow it just doubt. dropped
0: under the radar yeah yeah I can see how that sort of can tie into the shadow of the doubt scenario yeah, yeah.
1: um and then you know I think I mean I I do I, I see the value I do really do understand the value of Vertigo it is like you know a five-star film I've ever seen one Psycho obviously is incredible I really really like North by Northwest um and rear window is also in my opinion a uh, fucking masterpiece now when it came to watching spellbound it was a case of i heard this i had really really good things from other people talk about oh spellbound's really really good and i was kind of almost taken aback i mean ingrid bergman's pretty good Gregory burke is pretty good the direction's pretty good and the plot is pretty good um there's you know this weird as fuck dream sequence which from remembering from somewhere was was done by salvador dali and that's yep. pretty meta rule. Then you got the music from composer uh, Mikos uh, Rosa, I think is how you spell his name. And that is kind of the... That was my main takeaway from the film was like, the film's pretty, pretty good, but the music was so much better than the film does, you know, so much better than that, if that made any sense. Um, I thought the film's portrayal of psychoanalysis was quite positive, especially considering, you know, the year it came out. Um, what was the we spoke about another film that had psychoanalysis in it didn't we in season one or am I thinking of something else I I'm probably know. thinking of something else
0: um, I mean yeah, I'm, probably thinking I'm sure we else. have I'm sure we did I'm, I'm sure we did speak about it but I, off the top of my head I can't
1: pinpoint yeah I can't remember either um, but yeah I mean 1945 when this came out um, yeah I mean it's pretty positive I thought I felt that the, the film's twists and turns, and kind of the exploration of the psychological torment, and how like you see the effects on the human mind, I thought were pretty well portrayed by Gregory Peck. I did think he was a tad miscast. Mm. Um, it didn't like points, you know, that the kind of I didn't firmly believe, and that's probably because of intertext, you know, refer, you know, intertextual knowledge that you know he he is Atticus. Um, that is, really plays on my mind when I see Gregory Peck, but you know, when I look, I look at him and I think uh, I can't see him murdering anybody.
0: You know what I was? Have you seen *Duel in the Sand*? No, because <laughs> that's the. I'm not going to do any spoilers for you, but *Duel in the Sand* I think was one of the favorite films of um, Martin Scorsese, and he mentions it quite quite often uh, as one of the Early memories of childhood having going to the cinema and watching Duel in the Sun, and um, just to say that in Duel in the Sun, Gregory Peck does not play a nice guy, and I think Duel in the Sun was around the same time as Spe- Spellbound was made, so I was watching Spellbound and I was thinking of Duel in the Sun, Sun, um, not uh, um of um To Kill a Mockingbird, um because I do like Gregory Peck; I think he's a really good actor, um. But I understand how where you're coming from in terms of seeing him miscast because he can't be a murderer. But he isn't a murderer in this, and that's what that because he, he's a good guy. He's still a good guy.
1: Yeah, but I I just I don't know. There was there was a shot when like he was drinking a glass of I think it was milk or something, and he was talking to the the doctor, and the the the, the camera was head on and. For 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 quite a long for quite a bit, I was thinking. i looking at it, thinking, it looks like a young. It looks like Anthony Perkins, you know, yes, it's like a yes, proto yes. Anthony Perkins. Yes, um, he did so, some angles.
0: He looked very much like Anthony Perkins.
1: Yeah, he did. Um, anyway, yeah, so I I thought I thought he did, alright I if I thought you know he was a bit miscast um and i thought ingrid bergman i thought she did uh, i thought she did quite a good job um in doing quite a lot of heavy lifting when it came to kind of keeping the explanations simple and enough and for kind of showing the torment that you know one goes through when you see a loved one go through something like this i thought she did a very very good job um i mentioned notorious i think a performance in notorious is so much more better in that than in spellbound um, I
0: wouldn't say so much better because it's the same yeah. actors under the same direction, um, but I kind of get what you mean.
1: Yeah, I, I yeah, I mean, I, so I just, I just thought the film was just pretty good. Like, I, I don't really have much more else to say than that. I mean, I, yeah. I thought the the dream sequence was quite was really really interesting, and seeing that in in a in a film of this era is and uh, the fact that this was a a, a, a an American you know yeah Hollywood film of the time is quite surprising um you know it it's it, it was quite surprising and and you know it's probably the most memorable thing and I I said I really 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 enjoyed the music but yeah the, but the film the music I just an Oscar, the, film,
0: the only Oscar um uh, best yeah. best score
1: I thought you know I, th- I thought the film was was pretty good i just you know the the plot and the way the twists and turns like the general thriller plot, i mean it was i mean it's kind of predictable um and it, it just i don't know i don't know okay. it just it just i just thought it was a pretty good hitchcock film if that made sense
0: that makes sense cool um so yeah just a few notes on on the production um the the dream sequence was indeed uh, designed um, by Salvador Dali um, because Alfred Hitchcock was a big admirer of his work and he realised that no one understood the dream imagery better. And the whole idea of, of the film um, was kind of a brainchild of producer David O. Selznick who wanted uh, the, the film to be based on his experiences in psychotherapy. Uh, He even brought his psychotherapist on the set to be a technical advisor. And um, you can imagine that the psychotherapist trying to sort of read into all the scenes and multi-layer everything and super-analyze everything. And then once there was an argument with Alfred Hitchcock on the workings of, of therapy and Hitchcock responded like, my dear, it's only a movie. Um, I can imagine that the psychotherapist wanted to be as thorough as possible on his um, sort of field, but Alfred Hickok would like just leave me alone, and do, let me do my my stuff. So, I mean, I have I don't know that much of a psychotherapy to to see how accurate the sort of analysis was, uh, but Alfred Hickok referred to it, the movie as quote just another manhunt wrapped in wrapped up in pseudo, pseudo psychoanalysis. And um, it's funny that you said that you felt that Gregory Peck was miscast because Alfred Hitchcock was disappointed with the limits of Gregory Peck's facial expression. And I pre- uh, found a quote by Gregory Peck saying, quote, I couldn't produce the fas- facial expressions that Hitch wanted. I didn't have that facility. He already had a preconception of what the expression ought to be on your face. He planned that as carefully as the camera angles. Hitchcock was an outside fellow, and I had the Stanislavski training from the neighborhood playhouse, which means you work from the inside. End quote. So I think there was a bit of, um, you know, friction there between what Hitchcock wanted to portray on the camera and what Gregory Peck was able to do, which is probably why you 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 feel a bit miscast. Um. So yeah. Um. I I I'm glad that you liked the music, and I might recommend that there's another film released in the same year, and I actually wrote a, an a, an article about it. Um, not directed by um, Hitchcock directed, it's a film noirish, directed by Billy Wilder. Um, the the long the lost weekend.
1: Oh Don't right, you've seen okay. it. I've not seen that but that is that I know of I definitely know that cause, Yeah, you know, so Miloš, yeah.
0: Miloš Ratsa, um scored that film too using the theremin uh, and it's again very effective um, score, very brilliant um, addition to this sort of narrative and I wrote a link, quite a lengthy article on it if, um, I will link to it in the show notes um, if you want to peruse that and, um, funny thing about, um, the script, there was the early versions of the script used the words sex menace, frustration, libido, and Tomcat, um, in the scenes involving the, the character of Mary Car- Carmichael, the, the lady at the beginning, the patient at the beginning, I if you remember. Oh, the, the, the,
1: the scratching woman.
0: Yeah, the scratching woman. Um, but because of, um, the production code, they, um, They had to eliminate those words because Joseph Breen didn't want to have them in. So there was a bit of um, sort of censorship um, at play here. But I think they they got away with quite a bit in terms of like, you know, psyche and and sort of doing stuff. Uh, I think it's considered to be one of the first films about psychoanalysis ever, Um, or at least in Hollywood. and yeah, I um just just to finish off the um, if you remember the Shakespearean quote at the start is an abbreviated version of something that like Cassius says to Brutus in Julius Caesar, and the, the full quotation is the full dear Brutus is not in our stars but in ourselves that we are underlings.
1: Oh, yeah, I do, yeah, yeah, no, I remember that now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and um. Yeah, I think I think I read somewhere that um Hitchcock wanted Cary Grant to be um portraying John Valentine instead of Gregory Peck and I think he cast him um later on in a notorious um paired with Ingrid Bergman
1: Bristol Bristol
0: born uh, Cary Grant. Yes, yes. Cool. Um so yeah, it was pretty good, I think. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to talking more about Hitchcock in, in another episode, preferably uh, around Rebecca.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that is, I think that's kind of next on my Hitchcock watch list. Because um, we we were gonna we were going to do a, a Rebecca episode where we talked about yeah. the remake, but I I ended up couldn't do it because of yeah. time restraints. Um, but yeah, no, Rebecca is true. is the next one. So we're gonna I think we're gonna do when it comes to Hitchcock.
0: Did you spot Hitchcock in the film?
1: He uh, always elevator. has his cameos. It was yeah. It elevator, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah, it was at the Empire State Building.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Um cool. cool. Uh all right, so we're gonna, we're gonna move on. Um it it may i I'm hoping that on paper this seems like a hard left, but I'm hoping this actually kind of makes sense. Um and it all works out nicely. So um I'm going to come back there. So we're going to we're going to go for talking about the Batman animated series episode first heart of ice before we start talking about the feature film Mask of the Phantasm. Now, the reason why I've done this is because on top of the fact that the Mask of the Phantasm's like 75 minutes long, um I felt it was kind of worth Danny watching an episode of the series. In my opinion, the best episode of the series to kind of get used to the tone and to kind of get used to how this iteration of batman is before we dive into something as a, a bit more bigger with mask of the phantasm. So um i um, Mascul- uh, heart of ice is the uh, was the 14th episode of the the series first aired in in, in on September 7th 1992 written by, written by Paul Dini and directed by Bruce Timm. Um the episode is the first appearance of the series of Mr Freeze. Uh Mr Freeze um first appeared in in 1959 in the comics. This is his first appearance in the TV show. So Danny, um what did you think of this episode? This 20 minute long episode?
0: Um I thought it was rather silly. Okay. Um watching the opening credits, I was sort of transported back to childhood because i remember this batman i remember the batman tv animated series was on Cartoon network when i was growing up and but i don't remember having seen this particular episode uh i do think i've seen several others um it was i know yeah i understand why you've you've sort of suggested this to sort of set the tone of, of of the writing and the way it's sort of been delivered uh but I thought it was quite melodramatic and quite silly um and very cartoonish um I understand where it's coming from but as an as a non-fan of of the comic books I didn't really feel that invested um I do understand like the whole grief and the whole revenge thing like you know and but, but I that's quite a, a theme with batman isn't it There's all the all the villains most of the villains anyway have had a trauma in the past and then they have to sort of come back as monsters to avenge their loved ones somehow and with mr freeze it was quite obvious that 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 was absolutely the case um i love the music I, like the opening credits music is brilliant um but the rest of it was just like, I don't know, it's just so formulaic. I mean, you know that Batman's going to show up at the exact moment that he needs to show up and not a second too soon. And some of the lines were just very, very silly and teenage I felt. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it, it, it isn't to say that I didn't enjoy it as much as one can enjoy these things.
1: No, that's fair enough. I mean, I I got to be so. I was going to be honest. I wasn't expecting you to say, "Oh, that was amazing." Um. (laughs) Uh. So the 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 so one of the main reasons was I was choosing this is because, um, it is it is the it it won it won a daytime Emmy award for outstanding writing an animated program. Um. It is widely considered as one of the best episodes of the TV series. Um. And that is predominantly the the reason predominantly for that is because the character of Mister Freeze originally in the comic books was just a laughing stock. He was just a guy with an ice gun. That was it. You know, he Mm. he was not anybody. And he had a backstory here. Sorry.
0: And here he gets a backstory.
1: Here he gets a, a tragic backstory. Um, something that motivates him. And this 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 originated here in this episode and then was carried forward you know we saw elements of it in the the Arnold Schwarzenegger portrayal of the character in, in Batman and Robin um and this was a recurring thing through the the animated series um they would do they would do different things to the original source material which would then influence later adaptations of the character um the most famous example being the introduction of the Creation of Joker's sidekick Harley Quinn um, was originally came from the Batman the Animated Series, um mm-hmm. and then was proved to be so popular that they put her into the comics, and then you know she kind of took off from there, and now she's played by Margot Robbie in in the Suicide Squad films. So, yeah, um this episode was 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 is is in my is so good in my opinion. I mean, when you view it through the lens of this is a kid's tv series i think it really deals with some really deep themes um and that kind of leads me on to mask the phantasm um this uh this film came uh, was released in 1993 directed by bruce tim and eric radomsky who were the uh, creators of batman the animated series um voicing batman is kevin conroy I'm um, going to got a brief synopsis here. Um Andrea Beaumont strolls back into town rekindling an old romance with Bruce Wayne. At the same time, Batman is, is mistaken for a masked vigilante assassin who has begun systematically eliminating Gotham's crime bosses. Now on the run, Batman must solve the mystery while navigating his relationship with Andrea. So Danny, what did you think of Batman Mask of the Phantasm? Um
0: oh yeah, great opening credits, great music. Um yeah I I don't know I find it sorry I I have to say this I find it quite difficult to get excited about this when I've seen like live action directed by Christopher Nolan films you know um and you know that I'm 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 not going to you know I'm not someone who dismisses something because I'm not a big fan of it um, and I'm not a big fan of, of comic books or animation, um, but that isn't to say I'm not enjoying them. Um, but it's just that it's not my preferred genre. And um, it was okay. Um, I understand the the sort of artistry behind it. And I found some, some good subt- subtleties and a good character build at times but I found it quite predictable. Um, I do think it was a bit more enjoyable than, I'll just give you credit that I I do think it was a bit more enjoyable than I had expected. Um, and it just, yeah, it was, it was just a few notes that I wrote down what I was watching, um, like, you know, orphan and digital, disillusioned in love equals Batman. It was just like, what? And you kind of know that when she comes back into town, Andrea, she's, sort of harbouring a secret and she might be the vigilante um, or something that she would just make Bat ba- Batman choose between duty and love once again, that sort of thing. Uh, and, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it felt a bit clunky at times, like the execution and, and the delivery of lines. It just didn't feel quite... Um, smooth and seamless i don't know but that's again from the point of view of someone who's seen the um the live action you know christopher nolan trilogy um i don't know i think that's kind of it what i have yeah it was it was not not it was rather enjoyable um and I can understand why the theme of of trauma and how people were very, very reluctant to let go of of the past. And, um, I, yeah, I don't know. If, was, was there anything that you think might have been quite related to what we've discussed in terms of spellbound, in terms of psychoanalysis?
1: Um, Not really in terms of the way of psychoanalysis, just like the way people deal with trauma i think the 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 mirroring of the characters between andrea and and bruce you know they mirror there there is mirroring and symbolism in this in this film um through the, the use of flashbacks and it's really yes. really quite interesting and i think what's really impressive about this for me is that this isn't this is a a film version of an animated kids show. This is a thing intended for children. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Batman... And it
0: shows, I think, in, in well, ways.
1: I, I, I think, I think, I think you're right. It does show, but I think when you, when you look at some of the other stuff that's out there, or especially at the time and you think about, I don't know if you remember, but you had the, the animated X-Men cartoon or the animated Spider-Man cartoon or, you yeah. know, like they they're so obviously for children. Like I love the Spider Man animated series and the X Men show, but like there is nothing in there that's predominantly like okay, this is actually quite deep when you start thinking about it. Whereas this is it for me, it delves into into the psyche of Batman more than the Dark Knight did, which is, you know, the best Batman movie, but it's just it's just heat with superheroes you know it's pretty much the dark side. Do you night. think so? I think so. Yeah, I mean there's this the scene in Mask of the Phantasm where he's breaking down in it's raining and he's breaking down in front of his parents grave and he's talking about how like he didn't he made a vow to you but he didn't expect to have this chance of being happy. And that's why when she leaves him it breaks him so much that he becomes Batman and that scene where he's putting on the the costume for the first time and he you know alfred has in the cowl and he puts it on that's why that is shot and he is entirely in black because he is now just been consumed entirely by darkness now like there is no turning back for him you know he he had this one shot this one shot of of living something good but then it was taken away from him and there's nothing left so he 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 now he is now kind of becomes the darkness Um, and if you think about how Batman works in terms of the character you know I mean the Tim Burton the two Tim Burton films I mean the second one in particular goes into the whole king of like the whole thing of like well these are just people that get off on wearing black leather and are all (laughs) extremely weird you know like they're all freaks and that's why Michael Keaton works in that role you think about the line in the first Batman film where he says you want to get nuts let's get nuts um, you know, and I think where the Chris Nolan films kind of, kind of, I would not say ignore, but they kind of go away from that is that they don't treat Bruce as a weirdo because at the end of the day, something's got to be wrong in the head about a guy that walks around dressed like a bat. <laughs> you know, like, and I think that's what in what this, um, the 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 film kind of encapsulates. If I'm, in my opinion um when you think about how bruce becomes a you know the, the 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 loss of his parents ends up with him going towards justice right but andrea the loss of her parents ends up going towards vengeance and it's two different ways of of of, of going you know in this world of of superheroes and supervillains it's it's two different ways of going in and and dealing with grief and one is healthy, or when I say one is less healthy than the other. If that makes any sense. Like one is one is bad and one is less bad. Um, you know. I'm not saying, you know, if you lose your parents you should start walking around dressed like a bat and fighting criminals, but you know, it's it's a bit better than killing mob killing bosses. People. Um well. Yeah. Um and that's kind of what this Batman this Batman thing does. Um I'm trying to think of where we're to go like talking about the series and talk about the film. Um I'll t- I'll go with I'll go with starting talking about the film and uh Yeah, so uh Michael Reeves, the writer, um, you know, in that scene where he's talking about um, his parents being happy you know he, he pretty much reiterated my what I was saying where he said that when Bruce puts on the mask for the first time after Andrea breaks their engagement and Alfred says my god he's reacting in horror because he's watching this man he's helped raise from childhood this man who has let the desire for vengeance and retribution consume him his entire life and at last embrace the unspeakable um, and that's really dark for a kids film like this This, you know it's a whole it, The film doesn't end on a happy note. Like it doesn't end with him, like triumphantly solving the crime of Gotham. No, it just ends. She escapes. The Joker escapes. She's sad on a boat, and he is just looking mournful. And and it's quite. It's it's such a downer, but it works, and it, it it that's kind of. Perfect for this for the, for the character, um, a bit of casting. Um, the guy that played Arthur Reeves, the guy that voiced Arthur Reeves, um, was play, uh, voiced by Hart Bolchner, who played Ellis in Die Hard. Um, so the guy that gets shot in the head by hands because he tries to, you know, act all, you know. Mm. pally with alan rickman and then gets shot in the head uh that's that's his voice uh the guy that plays sal valestra who was the mob boss that you know consistently inhales the oxygen tank um voiced by abe figoda who played tessio in the godfather films
0: oh of course
1: um which is pretty cool and i'm uh this is the bit of casting that i was i was i was most looking forward to, to hearing about from you did you recognize the voice of the joker
0: it sounded br- slightly British, but I couldn't place him
1: okay, so the voice of the joker is mark Hamill uh what? Luke, Luke Skywalker oh, yes, okay, um,
0: I wouldn't have recognized him now
1: so Mark Hamill um I don't think you could a-
0: have recognized him
1: no, no a bit there's... like a bit
0: like rocket being um Bradley Cooper. It changes yeah. the the tone. You wouldn't, and, and, and unless you knew what to look for, you wouldn't recognize. I don't yeah. think.
1: Um, so Mark Hamill, um, this is kind of behind the scenes of the TV series, and, and well, behind the scenes of the TV series. He initially came on because you know the episode of Heart of Ice that we saw. He voiced the the guy that was winning the award, the guy that was the focus of the revenge. Oh, the for, philanthropist. For, for the yeah, so that was Mark Hamill, and he was brought back because the original casting for the Joker in the TV series was Tim Curry. Um, but his voice, um, it depends on who you talk to and who you, what you find out, but his voice was either deemed as too dark or um, he contracted bronchitis. Um, so they had to bring in a replacement. So that would be Mark Hamill. And he was brought in and he was brilliant. much the only note he was given was, don't do Nicholson. Because mm-hmm. you know this was just after the Tim Burton film, yeah. and he was basically told, "Don't do Nicholson." So what he did was he he used his experience because he, he, he I think he worked on Broadway doing uh, Amadeus, and that's kind of where the laugh came about. It was an adaptation. It was kind of like reworking the the thing he did in Amadeus and kind of working this laugh. Um, and it it's his his voice and his. He, the way he does the Joker is the best version of the Joker um, in my opinion. Don't get me wrong I think Heath Ledger's is is, is astonishing and as time goes on there is, you know, I become more and more appreciative of what he did, especially when you look at other people doing it. Uh, Jared Leto um, You know, like and and to some extent Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I, I think Mark Hamill's Joker is is something truly like he is genuinely insane. Um and you know, the whole world's fair is blowing up at the end and he just laughs maniacally because he knows it's the end and he's just But
0: it's not though, is it? No it's not.
1: Obviously not because it's a it's a comic book, but like he's (laughs) dying like in that moment, in the character's moment in that mind, he's dying and he just looks around as he's all the explosion, he just laughs um there's the scene where he's fighting um andrew beaumont in that you know in in the kitchen and you see his hand and yeah. it goes back on the table and he got a knife and a piece of bologna and he picks up the bologna yeah. um it, it's uh, this is a character that's just ridiculous he's insane and yeah he kind of it, it it works it works so well um he gets he gets some really great lines um but i think the great the best line in the in the in the film is when um batman turns to andrea and says oh do you let your father always control you and she turns around and says as far as i'm concerned the only person in this room controlled by my parents is you <laughs> and yeah i was like oh burn <laughs> the sickest bird you'll ever hear thrown at batman <laughs> um the so the design of the the show and the and of uh the film came predominantly from kind of like tim burton's movie but it was more gothic but this was like they wanted to do the gothic and but lean away from it almost and go sh- almost into the deco kind of 40s kind of style um you know this takes place in, in the 20th century but it's a 20th century where you get like 40 style ve- vehicles and mobsters and stuff but you know wearing hats
0: fedora hats yeah. and the detectives wearing fedora hats I, I noticed that i'm like what the hell
1: yeah did um, you yeah there was
0: a detective wearing a fedora hat and a, and a trench coat and i'm like hey
1: yeah i mean it. it but looks it's cool. comic it books really, so everything really goes, anything cool. goes um yeah so uh the backgrounds um of the basically the way basically backgrounds of animated shows were done on white paper this was the first one that did it well the first major one that did it on black paper so everything was done on black paper um so this was a show that was in darkness from the offset and it looks so good um
0: no yeah the the graphics are incredible
1: yeah. It is the art, the art design is 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 truly truly astonishing. Um in terms of uh reception to the film um it didn't it didn't do very well in the box office because at the last minute it was initially intended to just go straight to VHS at the time, you know, if you remember VHS. Um I do. But the Warner Brothers being Warner Brothers decided at the last moment you know, in terms of production, that they wanted to stick it straight to theatres. Um, and although they kind of allowed the budget and, t- you know, timing to kind of fit that, um, they the marketing just didn't happen. So it made, you know, it it, it was like one one and a half thousand cinemas in, in the US and, and on Christmas in 1993, um, and it made, like... 5 million across its domestic box office intake. And you think about the fact that this is a Batman film. You know, you've come off the heels of Batman and Batman Returns. This should be doing good money. That is truly, truly astonishingly bad. And that's because of Warner Brothers just not doing anything in terms of marketing, um, which is not the first time that they've, they've... not the first time that they will do such a thing to an animated movie. Um... Siskel and Ebert, um, in one of the you know uh, episodes of At the Movies, they reviewed the film um, when it came out on home video, and they said that uh, this is uh, Siskel that said this. He said the animated feature was made in Night Night Three, and Roger and I never reviewed it. And as far as I'm concerned, we made a mistake because it's terrific. I enjoyed it more than the current Batman picture that's in theaters, which was Batman Forever. I got completely involved in it. Uh, ebert went on and he said it's interesting here that the, what they really did they really did have a story more of a story than than the live action movies the characters have feelings and have motivations and like and but yeah i mean i think they kind of have a point like the you think about especially with batman forever you know val kilmer's batman there's nothing there to him that film is just <laughs> all about jim carrey and and yeah. tommy Lee jones
0: um, yeah, and I think it was—I I really liked Batman Forever.
1: Yeah, because of <laughs> yeah. Jim
0: Carrey and Tommy Lee.
1: I mean, yeah, the, the, I think that's that's the thing about Batman, isn't it? He—he he was it's just the rogues boring. gallery, isn't it? It's the villains, yeah, like it's the villains. Like, you don't that see are a Batman film ones. for for Batman, you go see a Batman film for the villains. But uh, that, yeah. and I I think that's why Mask of the Phantasm over the years has kind of. Gained a bit more appreciation with a Blu-ray release and, you know, people re-watching it and all of a sudden just going, hang on a minute, a Batman movie can actually be about Batman and actually be interesting and actually dive into what makes the character work and what makes the character tick. And you have an interesting villain that's a mirror alongside that. And for some reason, you don't even advertise the fact that the, the biggest villain of all time is in this movie and he yeah, in I was shocked through. when I saw
0: him. Yeah, he just rocks out of nowhere. I was like, "Oh, hello!"
1: Yeah, and it's, I didn't expect yeah. to see you here. Yeah, and the yeah it, it, for me it, for me it works. Um, the film is widely considered as one of the best animated movies, um superhero animated movies in particular. um I think it's definitely alongside Spider-Man into the Spider Verse, which we spoke about on this podcast. In my opinion, really. I prefer
0: the Spider-Man.
1: Yeah. 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 I I remember you liking that a lot more. I did
0: like it. I did like it a lot more. Uh, maybe I should give this another chance cuz um like I said it I remember watching the t- the the Batman animated series when I was growing up but and I I enjoyed them. Um so maybe I should give this another chance and having taken in what you've said and analyze it a bit more. Um,
1: I think I think yeah, I think I think it's not just you that needs to do well maybe and say needs to do this, but I don't think you that it's just you that has needs to I wouldn't say need, but could watch it with a different frame of mind if that makes any yeah, sense. I think
0: I think I just I just got sort of sidetracked by the by the sort of cheesy dialogue at times, because it was quite silly. Yeah. Um and I felt it felt a bit clunky at times especially when um that scene where Batman goes to her, uh, Andrea's house and she mm, sort of s- starts to cry all, all, all of a sudden. Like, out of nowhere, she sort of has a drink in her hand, just drops a drink and just fumbles on the bed and starts to cry. And I'm like, whoa, where's that coming from? It just felt a bit like quite like she was supposed to be quite this, this sort of seductress woman. And then she just falls to pieces.
1: Yeah yeah i mean i i think that the 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 film i think when you when you you need to view it with that lens of it's a kid's movie, so it needs to yeah. work for children, but if you start viewing it with that lens, you've gotta appreciate what it does away from that. It's like when people talk about Pixar films where they say humor, oh yeah, the Pixar films is not just for kids, and that's because of the jokes mainly people were mostly talking about the jokes that kind of yeah. go over kids' heads um and I think this does. This is that. This is that as an example. But it's basically it's a kids film. But the themes, and the the character, and what is going on, kind of away from that, is what makes this more than more than a kids movie. And what makes this a very very good Batman movie. I'm not saying it's a very very. It is a very good movie in my opinion. It's a very very good animated movie in my opinion. But on top of that, it's 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 the best. I think it's the second best Batman movie, in my opinion. What's the first? Batman Returns, because Michelle Pfeiffer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That the Batman Returns is 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 that with the Penguin? Yes.
0: And Christopher Walken.
1: Yeah, Christopher Walken. Yeah, that film is weird. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, only because
0: of Michelle Pfeiffer in latex.
1: No, 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 no. It was not uh, not just because of that reason, but because batman for me is i ag- i agree with heath ledger in the in the dark knight there's got to be something really weird like wrong with a guy that dresses up as a bat and batman returns embraces that and i don't think christopher nolan films go as far as that you see bits of it in batman begins but it's more just concentrated on we need to have Batman in the real world. And it starts going weird when, when he when Heath Ledger's Joker shows up, but it just it just goes, no, we need to we need to keep it grounded. We need to stay grounded. This is a real world. We can't have weirdness. Um and that's one of the reasons George why. George Clooney to... was the Batman
0: in Batman Returns, wasn't he? Sorry? Was George Clooney in Batman Returns?
1: No, that was Michael Keaton. Oh So Keaton, okay. Keaton, Keaton was Batman for the two Tim Burton ones Then he had Val Kilmer for Batman Forever Which was the one with Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones And then for Batman and Robin um, Was George, you Clooney had George Clooney With the, the nip- nipples. bat nipples Yes I <laughs> love the yeah. fact that we both <laughs> Reference the bat nipples <laughs> Well Yeah
0: Well they um, are memorable
1: Yeah and as I say, that's one of the reasons that that whole weirdness is one of the reasons why I'm really looking forward to Matt Reeves' Batman movie that's coming out. I think it's now next year with uh, Robert Pattinson uh, being I'm, a Dark Knight. I'm
0: becoming more and more a fan of, of Robert Pattinson.
1: You say you are or you're not?
0: I'm becoming more and more of a fan. I I never saw this coming.
1: Join us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I yeah. mean,
0: I liked him in Tenet and I really liked him in... Um, that film he did. Um, the Devil All the Time. I don't know if you've seen that.
1: I've not seen that, no.
0: Um, it was on Netflix a while ago. And I thought it was, yeah, quite a brilliant film and quite a brilliant, creepy portrayal of Robert Patterson. He's just really, really good.
1: That's what, we, I, think, Robert, that's what I think I Robert's Batman adaptation work goes. I think it's a really good casting because he's playing a young version of the character, which we've not seen on screen before. And Robert Pattinson is a weird guy. Yeah. Like anyway, he is a weird guy. Like you see interviews with him, and he's just weird. Um. So uh, he he works as Bruce Wayne because at the end of the day, Robert Pattinson is astonishingly wealthy, but he is weird, and that is pretty much Bruce Wayne. <laughs> like at the end I of the should day. I
0: look forward to that.
1: Um. And that film, you know, you're gonna have Paul Dano as the Riddler uh jeffrey wright Ooh. is playing commissioner gordon um i like
0: jeffrey wright and
1: andy circus is alfred um colin andy circus Far- is playing alfred colin farrell um from what i can gather is uh is under a lot of heavy makeup but he's playing um falcone who was Oh, uh, okay
0: Tom... okay okay i'm sold i'm sold yeah
1: and it's also directed by Matt Reeves. We're talking Matt Reeves, who did Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet of the Apes. Not okay. yeah,
0: yeah. I think so. I've seen those, but a long time. I can't remember which ones which.
1: So yeah, anyway, which, if, one's one person, which ones the one that
0: reference? Which ones the one that reference apocalypse now?
1: That'll be War, I think.
0: Yeah, with yeah. Woody Harrelson.
1: Woody Harrelson was War, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then cool. and then got Gary Oldman was Dawn. If I'm no. Gary Oldman was Dawn. I can't remember. Yeah, Gary Oldman was Dawn, and then uh, Woody Harrison was War. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's cool. that's pretty much that. With when it comes to when it comes to Batman, um, I said I'm, you know, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit kind of gutted that you didn't like it as much as I was hoping you did. But I was, I, 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 you know, got to talk okay. about Batman. When, well, actually, you guys one don't thing about that, it, yeah. One thing before before we finish. Um you've seen or see quite a few films with the Joker. Um where would Mark Hamill's Joker be and who is your favorite interpretation of that character?
0: Why are you doing this to me?
1: I just yeah, because <laughs> I'm because I'm cool. Um,
0: I don't know. Um I think third I've not seen the Suicide Squad Joker.
1: Don't it's shit.
0: Um, I think. Th- okay, so can I can I say that it's a tie between Jack Nicholson and Mark Hamill?
1: Yeah, and then number one, I'm assuming would be Heath, Heath Ledger, of
0: course. Yeah. And I I know you didn't like it, but I do love Joaquin Phoenix's performance. Aside from the film, the film was not great, but the performance alone was very, very good. I found.
1: No, fair enough. Fair enough. I will um, take that. I will take that.
0: I do, and I love Joaquin Phoenix. I just love him.
1: Yeah. Cool. I am um, biased, but yeah. 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 So I, I think, I think we've, we've, okay. I think cool. we we've, we've, we've navigated that quite successfully. I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. Okay. So now you've got all you've got the comic books from out of your system for a while now so yeah so we we did we did spider-man
1: last season and we've done batman this season uh i think next season's gonna have to be i don't know Hellboy. just think think
0: about it carefully um (laughs) blade two (laughs) no (laughs) Um... no um so what have you got on for next week
1: um so you don't know actually know what's on for next week do you
0: I don't. I never do. I always forget. Right, so
1: this was an episode which was initially scheduled for season one, actually quite early on in season one, if I remember, my memory serves me right, because we actually planned it in season one. It was one of the first ones we did where we were like, let's talk about that movie with this movie. And then we never actually get around to doing it. But here it is. So we are doing 1942's Cat People, directed by Jacques Tournier. Um starring Simone Simon, is that how you say her name? Simone yeah. Simone Simon. Um who we spoke about in La Bête Humaine didn't we? Yes. Yes. And yes, we, we are did. doing that with uh num year two thousand uh year two thousands uh, Ginger Snaps, directed by John Fawcett, um starring Emily Perkins and Catherine Isabel. Um so it's kind of pretty obvious straight away what the theme of that movie is what that episode is going to be like yeah
0: um fun to watch looking forward to it
1: yeah so that would be cat people um we were yeah don't worry we'll we will stay we we we've got a couple of other episodes after that which is obviously staying away from we're staying away from genre stuff so we've got some you know I, I don't know. If, I don't know if Danny's disappointed we're going into genre again the next week, but I'm not. No, no. that's no, no, it's good. It's good. So yeah, that's next week. Um, so with that in mind, Danny, where can we find you on the internet?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Kino and my website is KinoJones.co.uk.
1: Um, and you can find me on the internet. I'm on at Nick Chandler on Twitter, and my website is Superatomovision.com. Um, don't forget you can email us on keenatomic at gmail.com um, I don't know what if, What do we want to find out from our listeners this week what's your
0: favourite joker
1: what's your favourite joker what's your favourite batman as well there we go
0: very good
1: yeah Yeah, see I'm, I'm asking the hard hitting questions <laughs> also what's your favourite hitchcock there we go yes because that's probably a bit more harder <laughs> what's your favourite batman um yeah so that'll be that that'll be that um so will that mind it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me
0: and a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me